In just a moment, um, I'm going to read our passage for this morning, and we're going to pray as well. But before we do that, just in the spirit of what we just sang a moment ago, I want to, I want to give us a little message before the message this morning. Um, this was just burden on my heart in the first service today. If, if you're not aware, if you're not looking at your calendar, that this year is really unique in that uh, it will start and end on a Sunday. Uh, January 1st and December 31st, we'll start the year on a Sunday. We're going to end the year on a Sunday, which means we have this, this unique opportunity to, to bookend this year with worship and starting and ending in, in this posture of, of worship. And if you're like me, your, your heart is like mine. You've been walking with Jesus for, for a long time. Well, what happens for those of us who have you know, grown up in the church, who spent a lot of time in the church, who've been doing this for a long time, is we very quickly become professional Christians. If you don't know the history of the story, uh, the story of the song that we just sang, you should go read it and, and learn about it, Heart of Worship, because it was written in a church that lost sight of what worship really was. And, and I know what, what my natural tendency can be if I'm not very, very careful is that I can gather together on Sunday morning not to participate in the worship of the perfectly holy triune God who alone is worthy of our worship and our praise. If I'm not careful, I walk in with a heart that just wants to evaluate because I've heard all the sermons and I've sang all the songs and we've done this whole song and dance for, for so long and eventually it, it just becomes not, not something that we show up to participate in but a performance that we just evaluate on a weekly basis. And, and friends, I hope you'll hear me when I tell you this morning, there's no more dangerous place your heart can be as a follower of Christ than to be the person who thinks you've got it all figured out. To be the person who thinks I've heard this, I've sang this, I've done this, none of this is new for me. I'm not going to glean anything new from this. Man, if everybody would just be like me, the church would be a better place. It's, it's such an easy mentality to fall into. And, and so as we have this unique opportunity to, to bookend our year with worship, this morning we're going to start in Mark 1. We're going to take a break from the Sermon on the Mount for today, just starting with a prayer focus for this year. Looking at Mark 1, the foundation of what it looks like to, to truly worship out of the depth of an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. And what's going to have to happen, I think, for many of us on the very first Sunday of this year is that the Lord is just going to have to break down some walls of pride and self-righteousness that are in our lives so that we can return to the right foundation to build our lives on in the year ahead. And so, so Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read for us this morning, verses 35 through 39, and I'm going to pray as we start our time together this morning. Look at what Jesus models for us in developing a, a deep, intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. It says, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. Fathers, we open your word this morning. We open our hearts to you. And we ask you by your Holy Spirit to search us, to test us and to try us according to your word. Father, we come to you this morning and we confess that it is easy for our hearts and minds, even as we gather for worship, to drift and focus on the wrong things. And so I pray especially this morning, Lord, for the brother or sister in Christ who is languishing spiritually who comes into a new year not energized and enthusiastic and encouraged about what's ahead, but is utterly distraught. 
at the thought of another year. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would restore to them the joy of their salvation. That you would show all of us what it it means to walk in a deep and intimate personal relationship with you. To enter into the communion that has been made possible for us through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We rejoice in his finished work this morning. And as we remember it, and as we reflect, and as we worship you today, Lord, let it be genuine praise that comes from our hearts. And guard us against the self-righteousness that prevents us from truly worshiping you. So Father, we speak to us today through your word, words that will edify your church and glorify your name. We ask you, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth and we submit ourselves to it now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. And if you're not there already, again, I'll encourage you to turn with me in your Bible. Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 35 through 39 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Mentioned this just a moment ago, but if you're our guest, uh, my name's Taylor, serve you at Cross as lead pastor. I want to welcome anybody who's joining us online this morning as well. And uh, what our church family's been doing for the last six months is we've been walking verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Uh, but typically, first Sunday of the year, we like to pause and, uh, and have a prayer emphasis to kick off the new year. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, from Mark chapter 1, and then Lord willing, next week we're going to pick right back up in the Sermon on the Mount. I've uh, got about three Sundays left there, and we'll be wrapping up there, again, Lord willing, over the next few weeks. Well, back in the fall, our family had a big scheduled milestone that we hit um, because our youngest son started kindergarten, which means for us, uh, for the first time in, in about a decade, we don't have a kid with us in the house throughout the course of the day. And so parents with kids, you know when that youngest starts school, that's a game changer, right? Uh, like suddenly they're, they're gone all day long. You're, you're not working around nap times and stuff throughout the course of the day. And so our youngest son, Lincoln, he started kindergarten. So we now have this Monday through Friday. You know, somebody else has our kids all in the same place from 8.30 until 3 p.m. And so Emily and I were really excited about this because, you know, as, as parents with younger kids, you know, it can be really, really hard just to be able to have time together to focus on your marriage. It can be hard uh, if you don't have family living close by, especially to steal away for date nights and just to, to get away and just have time with, with, with each other without you know, having to worry about navigating kids' schedules and where they're at and what they're doing and, and babysitters. And so we said, man, we really want to redeem that time. Friday is our staff day off. We want to redeem that time and just spend that time together. And, and that definitely happened for us a lot throughout the course of the fall. On Fridays, you know, we'd go to breakfast together, we'd go to lunch together, we'd go on, on short trips together, you know, just, just uh, small towns over and then coming back before we picked the boys up. And, and, and so we definitely did these things through the fall, but we were still shocked at how hard it was still to do. It, it was still a lot harder than we were expecting it to be because we learned that, that with all this free time, that, that life still expands in order to fill up that time. So there's still stuff to, to do around the house. We're like, ooh, we could do that on Friday. Or there's errands need to run. Like, ooh, we could do that on Friday. Or even just hobbies and activities we each like to do. We're like, ooh, we could do that on Friday because we're not navigating the challenges of our kids' schedules. And so we still got to do it, but we, we learned along the way that it required great intentionality. Because even as we, we sat down, because yes, my wife and I, we are planners. I'm a firm believer. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. Some of you are planning to fail in 2023, and you need to get right and start making some plans. Amen. And, and so we are planners. We sat down and we started talking about, hey, what do we want to do differently in, in our marriage in, in the year ahead? Like, how do we want to grow? And we, we still said, hey, we really want to capitalize on that Friday together. We're like, yes, we're going to do it this year. And then we quickly realized the first two Fridays of the year, we already had stuff planned. 
And, and so there we were, like we've, we've got the best intentions about doing this, but we've learned that we've got to be almost ruthlessly intentional about guarding and protecting and preserving that time. And this is true, whether you're married or it's just in a friendship, in any relationship, you have to work hard and be very intentional in order to develop the depth of intimacy in that relationship that you desire. It's true in our relationships with each other, but it's especially true in our relationship with the Lord. And one of the most desperate needs of the modern church friends, is for us to learn what it means to be still. But we, we are a culture where we are people that are just inundated with busyness, and we desperately need to learn what it means to be still. It's one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, Psalm 4610, where the psalmist emphatically exhorts us, be still. Everybody say, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There is a direct correlation between the depth of our relationship and the depth of our understanding of who our Heavenly Father is. There's a direct correlation between this and our ability to be still. And so let me just ask you a really important question as we kick off a new year together this morning for 2023. What are you willing to do in order to develop a closer relationship with the Lord in the year ahead? What are you willing to do in order to develop a closer relationship with the Lord in the year ahead? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to develop a deeper, more relational intimacy with your Heavenly Father? You know, no human being has ever walked the face of the earth has lived a more fulfilling and complete life than Jesus Christ. Throughout his three-year ministry, he was in constant demand by the needs of others. Jesus was constantly under threat uh, by those who hated him. Yet in spite of all these pressures, what Jesus models for us in Mark chapter 1 is the intentionality that is required to escape the chaos of our lives in our world so that we can make ourselves fully available to our Heavenly Father and grow in our relationship with him. And what Jesus shows us in Mark chapter 1 is that a heart that's satisfied by God will seek solitude with God. A heart that is satisfied by God will seek solitude with God. One of the best ways you and I can tell that our hearts have truly been satisfied in our Heavenly Father is that we are eager to detach from the chaos and the demands of our world for focused and undistracted time with Him. And what Jesus does in Mark chapter 1 is He models for us what it's going to take to get there. So for Mark 1, I'm going to read verse 35 for us again here. It says, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. What we see through the example of Jesus this morning is that solitude with the Father requires first a level of disciplined sacrifice. Now, if you read the first few verses prior, we can draw from the immediate context of Mark chapter 1 that Jesus had been a really busy guy. He had been extremely busy. He'd had a long day of ministry before. He's preaching the gospel. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's probably just had a few hours of sleep. And yet, what do we see after this long day and long night? It says in verse 35 that rising up very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he goes off to a desolate place by himself, and there he prays. Now, when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, I often prefer to use the word rhythms because uh, discipline has more of a negative connotation to it. But healthy discipline is still a thoroughly biblical concept, and it's one that we would be very foolish to ignore and wise to embrace. We see it modeled here by Jesus. Our spiritual rhythms, our daily spiritual rhythms, they're going to require discipline, and they're going to require sacrifice. 
We see this modeled by Jesus. It says he rose up very early in the morning, so Jesus had to sacrifice sleep. It says it was still dark, so Jesus sacrificed comfort. It says he went off to a desolate place, so Jesus sacrificed convenience. He models the discipline of intentionally getting up early at the least busy time of the day and going off to the place where he would be least distracted so that he could have unhurried, unrushed, and undistracted time with his heavenly father. Jesus models discipline sacrifice. So I think it's helpful for you and I to recognize uh, right at the beginning of this passage this morning that if we truly value and desire a deeper, more intimate personal relationship with our Heavenly Father, it's going to require discipline and it's going to require sacrifice on our part. It's not always going to come easy to us. There's so many powerful examples of faithful followers of Christ through the ages that have modeled the same level of discipline. One of my favorite examples is of the life of Hudson Taylor. If you've never read his biography, I think you should, and just learn about his story. He was a 19th century uh, missionary to China. Oftentimes, he was on these, these long, back-breaking journeys. He was traveling. He was working 19, 20-hour days. He was walking long distances. He was preaching the gospel in hostile territory and difficult places. He's often doing this in the, fa- in, in the face of danger and, and, and possible persecution and rejection. But I want you to listen to this account from his son Howard in in the book, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets. This is the example that was modeled by Hudson Taylor in spite of the demands that faced him. It said, it was not easy for Mr. Taylor in his changeful life to make time for prayer and Bible study, but he knew that it was vital. Well do the writers remember traveling with him month after month in northern China by cart and wheelbarrow with the poorest of inns at night. Only with one large room for coolies and travelers alike, they would screen off a corner for their father and another for themselves with curtains of some sort. And then after sleep, at last brought a measure of quiet, they would hear a match struck and seek the flicker of candlelight, which told that Mr. Taylor, however weary, was poring over the little Bible in two volumes always at hand. From 2 to 4 a.m. was the time he usually gave to prayer, the time when he could be most sure of being undisturbed to wait upon God. That flicker of candlelight has meant more to them than all they have read or heard on secret prayer. It meant reality, not preaching, but practice. That's what was modeled by Hudson Taylor. George Mueller lived a similarly demanding life during the 19th century. He was a a high-demand evangelist and pastor, preached multiple times a week. He ran an orphanage that rescued thousands of children in London. And yet, in spite of all of these responsibilities, how did he start out his life every single day? This is a reflection from Mueller himself. It says, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. This is what we should be aiming for at the very beginning of every single day. The first thing to be concerned about was how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. This reflects the sentiments of the psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 14. We write, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. A heart that is truly satisfied by God will seek solitude with God. And without solitude with God, church, you, you will struggle to find satisfaction in him. And again, we need to acknowledge that this is not always going to come easily to us. And, and this, I think, guys, is a really important word for us in 2023 where we place so much emphasis on our feelings The reality is, if you are waiting to wake up every single day and just feel like jumping into prayer and just feel like jumping into word and just feel like jumping into worship, if you follow your feelings, you're going to have a very shallow relationship with the Lord. 
Because if you've been following Jesus for about five minutes, you know that it's not always rainbows and butterflies, amen? Like you're not gonna wake up every single morning not having any stress, not having any chaos that you're trying to get away from, everything being perfectly fine and the kids slept all night long and there's no challenges at work and everything's good at home and you're just so eager to open up your Bible and so eager to enter into prayer. It's not always gonna happen this way. And what maturity in Christ means, it's learning to do things even when we don't feel like them. It's the discipline and the sacrifice to be intentional about putting ourselves in the position where we can hear and we can receive from the Lord. You know, here's a mistake that I'm often guilty of making that I fear many of you maybe you're making as well. Here's something I can be very, very gifty, guilty of. Some of us have convinced ourselves that there's a season of unbusyness eventually coming. So what do we do? What we just, we're just constantly, well, man, I just, I just got to get through this season, Right? That this is going on at work, and this is going on with the kids, and this is going on with school. Just got to get through this season. Got to get through this season. Got to get through this season. And, and what you don't recognize is some of y'all been saying that for like eight years, right? And, and we just need to recognize, listen, it's not a season. It's just your life. Life's just chaotic. Life's just busy. And, and the reality is we slow down, and we make time for the things that matter most to us. And what could possibly matter more than cultivating our relationship with the Lord? Have we considered that maybe the reason it always feels so chaotic, maybe the reason it always feels so busy, maybe the reason it always feels so stressful is because we've not learned what it means to be still and know that he is God. We have to model the same discipline sacrifice that's modeled for us by Jesus here. None of these things are evil. None of these things are evil. Listen, look, it's, it's not evil to have a job. It's not evil for your kids to play sports. It's not evil to, to have season tickets and have the boat and have the house that you can escape to. It's not evil to do any of these things. But if we're going to have the re- depth of relationship that we desire with the Lord, it's going to require sacrifice. Now understand, when, when you've made yourself fully available to everyone and everything except your heavenly Father, you can be sure that your soul, your soul is never going to be in a healthy state. I just wonder this morning, how much of our spiritual frustration, how much of our lack of contentment in Christ, how much of our lack of spiritual growth is simply rooted in the fact that we don't know how to be still? We don't know how to be still. What greater work could we devote ourselves to at the beginning of each day than to do what George Mueller did and make our souls happy in him, to be content in him, to once again be satisfied in him? to remember the gospel, to remember the promises of his word, to confess our sins and to repent and to thank him for his blessings in our life and to intercede for other brothers and sisters in Christ and the needs of our world and the salvation for the lost. What greater work could we commit ourselves at the beginning of each morning? And understand, if we know that these moments of intentional solitude and stillness before the Lord are vital to our spiritual growth, how much more do you think Satan is going to try to work against you to keep you from getting there? We have to recognize this. We have to understand these things. And church, somebody just hear this this morning. This is for me, and it's, I think, probably for somebody else here too. I fear some of us are so overcommitted that we're available to everybody except the Lord. But we're saying yes, yes, yes to everyone and everything, but anytime it comes to him, the answer is no, no, no. So my question for you today is, what are you willing to give up for a closer walk with the Lord in the year ahead? Verses 36 and 37 go on to tell us that Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And so in order to have solitude with the Father, first Jesus shows us it's going to require discipline sacrifice. Second, Jesus shows us it's going to require some relational boundaries. Now, this is a really important detail that I hope that you won't miss this morning. It says he went off to a desolate place 
And those who search for him found him. So, so pay attention to what Jesus has done here. Jesus has made an intentional effort to be distant from people. Like he intentionally went to a place where he, would be inter- where he wouldn't be interrupted, where he wouldn't be distracted. And, and just consider this here for, for just a moment because some of us have like this, this inner Messiah complex that we're constantly having to fight against. We think that it's our job to meet every single need that exists in the world and that if, if we don't do it, if we don't jump in, then, then nobody else will. I want you to just consider the example of the actual Messiah here for, for, for just a moment. Jesus had spent the entire night before healing. People are ready to come to him again with their needs. His disciples are like, hey, everybody's looking for you. Jesus is fully capable of meeting every single one of those needs. He's fully capable of casting out the demons, healing the sick, preaching the gospel that they desire to hear. Fully capable of meeting every single one of these needs. But where is Jesus? He's disconnected from the demands. He's disconnected from the chaos. And he's fully present and focused on his heavenly father. And when people come looking for him, he makes no apology for it. It's not, hey, sorry guys, I lost track of time. Hey, I forgot what day it was. Oh, I forgot service starts at nine o'clock and I'm supposed to preach. Like there was none of that there. That they come to him with all these needs. And so this is what Jesus models for us here. In order to be fully present with the heavenly father, we're going to have to have moments where we're disconnected from others. But notice the word moments. Okay, Jesus is not calling us to a light. Like we're not talking about like moving to a monastery and never dealing with people. I know every introvert in the room is like, dang it, that sounds awesome. Why can't I just do that? That's not what Jesus is calling us to. We can't live in total solitude, and yet we can't totally live trying to meet the demands of others. Otherwise, we're going to try to to draw water out of an empty well and give people something that we don't have for ourselves. He's fully disconnected from the demands, fully disconnected from the needs. He is capable of meeting those needs, and yet, in order to be present with his heavenly Father, he says no. And I think this is maybe one of the greatest struggles and one of the greatest revealers of our lack of satisfaction in Christ. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Can you fully remove yourself from others? Can you fully remove yourself from others? And more specifically, are you fully content resting in God alone? I think one of the challenges of our generation is is that this need to disconnect and this need to pursue solitude, it's no longer just physical, now it's also digital. Because even if you are introverted, man, like it's easy for you to disconnect from the crowd of people. It's also easy to get lost in an online world full of people so that we create these, these environments where even when we're alone, we're never truly alone. Like I, I just wonder like how many of us sleep with our, our phones immediately accessible to us? It's the last thing we look at before we go to sleep. It's the first thing we look at whenever we wake up in the morning. I, I just want to challenge you with something. Just, just try this this week if, if this is an area of struggle for you. Whenever you escape at some point in time this week to read your Bible for for 15, 20, 30 minutes, don't take a device with you. Don't take one with you. Intentionally remove the distraction. Intentionally put away the opportunity to peer into the life of someone else. Spend 30 minutes alone with your heart and your thoughts and your sin before the Lord. That's terrifying to some of us, right? It can be terrifying. Say, well, what what am I going to do? What am I going to listen to? Like, what what, what am I going to hear? Do this this week. I I just challenge you to do this. Take 15, take 20 minutes, take 30 minutes. And we learn very, very quickly how much other voices are actually influencing us. Are you content to be alone with your Heavenly Father? 
Are you content to, to remove yourself from the demands and the chaos and the distraction? Listen, this is for somebody this morning. I want to let you off the hook this morning. I want to let somebody in this room off the hook this morning. Are you ready for this? Do, do not miss this this morning. You're not Jesus. You are not the Messiah. And even if you were Jesus, even if you were the Messiah, the model that he's demonstrated for us is that sometimes you have to remove yourself from the demands. And, and listen, man, I got to fight this in my own heart. It's so easy for us to fight this as, as followers of Jesus Christ. Like we, we experience this need, like we feel like it's our job to meet every single need that comes to us. And we just have to remember every once in a while, we're not Jesus. We are nobody's savior. We are nobody's Messiah. We are messengers of the Savior. We are messengers of the Messiah. But you and I are finite human beings with limited time, limited energy, limited capacity. And if you take it upon yourself to try to save the whole world, you will die. You will burn out or fail in the process. We need to see even the example of Jesus. If Jesus himself needed the time to escape and be fully present, available to his heavenly father, how much more do you and I need this in our sin? If the sinless savior needed it for himself, how much more do you and I need this as sinners? If we are always accessible, always able to peer into the lives of others, always exposing ourselves to comparison, always allowing our minds to be occupied, this will be absolutely detrimental to your spiritual health. And when we do this, when we, we are constantly accessible to others and we're constantly peering into the lives of others in a screen, what it reveals is our deepest problem, which is that we are insecure in our true identity in Christ. So we go seeking it from somewhere else. Are you content to be alone with the Heavenly Father? Are you content to, to pursue him in silence and solitude, to, to listen to what he has to say to you through his word as you seek him in prayer? And at the end of our service this morning, I'm going to give you just a heads up on this. I want to give you the fair warning because for some of us, this is going to be terrifying. And as we close our time together this morning, we're going to just spend some time meditating on Psalm 62, which I'm about to read. And as we do this, there's going to be a few minutes where it's just silent in the room. There's not going to be music. We're not going to be saying anything. We're not going to fill it with, with space. We're not, going to fill it with, we're not going to fill the space with noise. And this is challenging for some of us because our, our world and even the church in many ways, we have been so conditioned to believe that we are to fill every single moment of, of our waking lives with some sort of noise. We're going to learn what it means to be still, to know that he's God. Listen to the words of the psalmist, Psalm 62. He says, for God alone, everybody say alone, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And why do we do this? From him comes my salvation. He alone, everybody say alone, is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How often do you wait for him in silence? How many of us live lives that are greatly shaken simply because we do not daily pause to remember that he is our salvation? To remember that he's our rock, to remember that he's our fortress. For God alone, we wait in silence. We do this for no one else. And the reason we do this for no one else is because salvation doesn't come from anyone else. He's the only one that can save us. And when we forsake this truth and we neglect to wait for him in the silence, what we will end up doing, church, is we will seek salvation in ourselves or in someone else. We don't seek out silence and solitude simply to be alone. We go to be reminded that because of Christ, our salvation, we are never truly alone. Understand, Jesus might have gone away in solitude from the demands of the people, but he was not alone.
And you and I need moments of healthy absence from others so that we can be fully present with our Heavenly Father. This passage closes out, verses 38 and 39. It says, he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So solitude with the Father, the the depth of relational intimacy that we desire, it's going to require discipline sacrifice. It's going to require some relational boundaries. Third, Jesus shows us that it's going to require a missional focus. We have to have our minds set on the right things. Now, again, don't miss the detail here. The needs here are many. The needs are many. The disciples are coming to him. Everybody's looking for you. These are people who are sick and need to be healed. These are people who are oppressed by demons and and need to be freed. These are people who need to see miracles performed. Jesus is capable of doing every single one of these things. But what does he say in verse 38? He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. So people have been coming to Jesus in mass. They've been searching for him all morning. And do you think that upset some people when Jesus up and left town? Absolutely, yes. But he's focused on the most important thing in this moment. Jesus did not primarily come to this world to perform miracles. Jesus came to the world primarily to preach the message of the gospel and salvation through his name. Think about this, guys. If if Jesus had only ever come to this world performing miracles but never preaching the gospel, you know what that would have left us with? Enough physical healing still to send us to hell. That was not the primary reason why he came, healing the sick and casting out demons. These pointed to his power that came from his heavenly father that belonged to him. The primary reason Jesus came was to preach the message of the gospel. So in coming to the Father in prayer, by getting away from the demands of the people who are constantly pressing in to get something from him, he's able to be reminded of the purpose for which he came. This is the mission statement for the life of Jesus. We find it in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus says to those listening, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He knew what his Father had placed him on this earth to do. And it wasn't primarily to perform miracles. It was to preach a message. It was to preach the message of the gospel. I started my first ministry internship at my home church in the fall of 2004. I've been serving the local church ever since. And um, for the first decade of of serving in local church ministry, I I lived under the delusion, number one, that I could meet everybody's needs. and, And number two, that it was my responsibility to say yes to every single thing that came my way. And so I felt like I was required to say yes to every opportunity to preach and teach. I was required to say yes to every opportunity to lead a Bible study. I was required to say yes to lead worship at every opportunity and do every outreach and go on every single mission trip. And I I felt that's what it meant to be a faithful follower of Jesus. It was to say yes to everything. But you know what that left me after about 10 years? It left me almost completely burnt out and just, I mean, absolutely tapped out at the end of, of my energy. But it also left me believing that I was somebody that I wasn't. It left me trying to believe that I was Jesus. It left me trying to believe that I was the Savior who was responsible for meeting every single person's needs. And what we see modeled by the Savior himself is that sometimes we have to say no to good things so that we can say yes to the most important thing. And we need to hear this this morning. We need to hear this this morning. We need to see the example of of Jesus. He was living perfectly content in his identity and his heavenly Father. He did not exist. He did not live to meet the expectations of anybody else. 
He lived to please his heavenly father and to please his heavenly father alone. And I think one of the reasons why we struggle to understand in our modern context what it is we should say yes to and what it is we should say no to, because as Christians, modern Christians, particularly here in the West, I fear in a lot of ways we've got our priorities almost completely backwards. And so just very, very simply this morning, I'm going to get in trouble for this a little bit, but why not? New year. Uh, let's, let's just start out in, in the negative here. And um, when we read through scripture, like you just look at scripture at a broad level and you look at what our priorities should be as followers of Jesus Christ, this is what you'll find through scripture. Number one, our priority, our number one priority in all of life is our relationship with the Lord, which also entails our relationship to the church. And then behind that is our relationship and our responsibilities with our family. And then behind that is our relationship and responsibility in our work. And then after that is pretty much everything else. Everything else gets in line behind Jesus and family and work. And every other priority needs to filter through those priorities. And there's definitely some overlap between all three of theirs where one kind of carries into other. But generally speaking, those are our priorities in our living. Our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with our families, and our, rela- and our relationship within our, our work. And what ends up happening for for many of us, I think we as modern Christians have really messed up, is we treat priority number one like it's priority number four, and we treat priority number four like it's priority number one. Is that when life gets busy and it gets chaotic, it tends to be our first priority that gets cut first, that gets cut most easily. And so whenever work gets too busy and school gets too busy and sports get too busy and we've got weddings to attend and parties to give out to and, and vacations and we got season tickets and we got the boat and we got everything else, we treat that like it's the first priority. And, and the first thing that tends to get cut out is our time in prayer. It's our time with the Lord. It's our time in his word. It's our giving. It's our serving. It's our gathering together for worship. And listen, I know I'm saying this morning, you're like, you're a pastor. Of course, you're going to say that. Friend, read the Bible. This is the priority that the Lord has given to us for his church. And and I just wonder, maybe if we reordered our lives around the priorities of God's word instead of our individual priorities, maybe we wouldn't feel so spiritually exhausted all the time. Maybe if we actually just tried this God's way instead of trying to do this our way, we might feel a little bit different. And listen, make no mistake, there is a way that you can commit to Jesus, you can commit to the church that that is unhealthy in the ways that I've tried, the way many of us have tried, where we burn out, we overcommit, we, we try to do too much, we don't do what's modeled by Jesus here. But generally speaking, your life is gonna go a whole lot better when you order your priorities according to the word of God and not according to the priorities of man. I just want to give you a challenge at the very beginning of 2023. And again, I know that this is not going to land well on some this morning, but I just want to challenge us according to what we see in the priorities of the word of God. Some of you are going to have to cut some stuff out if you want to get closer to Jesus. You have to cut some stuff out. It might mean fewer, it might mean that you don't say yes to every opportunity to go out of town. It might mean that you don't say yes to every committee and yes to everything at the school and yes to to coaching everything and and yes to to letting your kids do everything. It might result in some hard conversations, some difficult conversations where we have the opportunity to sit down with our kids and disciple them according to God's word about what the most important priorities of our lives should be. And and this, this can be uncomfortable, but if you are going to have the depth of relationship that you desire with the Lord, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. I just wonder this morning, what are you willing to give up? What are you actually willing to give up? And hear me, if you're not willing to give it up, then are you worshiping the true God? What really is your God? 
If your commitments are leading you to be unfaithful to Jesus and you are unwilling to let go of any of those commitments, then what God do you truly worship? This is something we should all pause and consider together this morning. What sacrifice are you going to have to make? What do you you have to cut out? Listen, for some of us, it's just going to be as simple as, man, a little bit less time on social media, right? Like two hours a day, unhealthy and unnecessary. Like it's, it's maybe, maybe not binge watching the whole season in a day, right? Like let's spread it out, okay? Like we did in the 1900s, right? One episode a week. We survived, didn't we? Let's go back to that. But just, just some simple, basic value. We, we just need to just be honest. Like we make time for the things that, that we value. And I think this is where I'm, I'm getting maybe a little bit more angsty after serving the local church for 20 years. I'm just kind of over hearing people say they don't have time for their Bible when they got 12 hours a week for Netflix. Like that's not a legit excuse. What are our priorities? What sacrifice are you willing to make? What what boundaries are you going to have to put up? You might have to put up some clear boundaries with work. Listen, you might have to put up some clear boundaries with family. Jesus did with his own. Jesus wasn't afraid to disconnect from, from the demands. Family is a good gift, but family can very, very quickly become a false god that hinders your relationship with the Lord. If you're not careful, you will become guilty of committing idolatry of the family and constantly hiding behind family as an excuse to be unfaithful. To Jesus? What sacrifice are you going to have to make? What boundaries are you going to have to put up? And do you know what God has put you on this earth to do? What has he gifted you for? What, are, you, are you living out your gifts according to what the Holy Spirit has entrusted to you for the building up of the local church, for the advancement of the gospel? How are we doing these things? Are we following the example of Jesus? And so as we close together this morning, I want to give us just a a few practical handles on on this, because um, particularly as we talk about developing a deeper relationship with the Lord, the primary way you're going to do that as an individual on a day-by-day basis is simply by by committing yourself to prayer and the reading of God's Word. And, And it really is, I don't mean to oversimplify this, but it really is this simple for us this morning. You have never met a faithful and 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 mature follower of Jesus Christ who was not seriously devoted to the Word and to prayer. Like, there's no shortcut in spiritual maturity here. There's not a silver bullet besides the simple daily disciplines of pursuing the Lord in prayer, pursuing him in his word. If your heart is truly satisfied in him, you will long for this. You'll desire this, and you'll want this in your life. And so so I want to give you just three very practical handles for developing the daily discipline that we see modeled by Jesus in Mark 1 of making yourself fully available to the Heavenly Father. Three very simple things I want to give you this morning. You need to pick a time. You need to pick a place, and you need to make a plan. It's really, really simple. You need to pick a time, you need to pick a place, and you need to make a plan. Now, we, we see this modeled by Jesus. We, knew, we know with Jesus in the morning, while it was still dark, he went off to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He had a time, he had a place, he had a plan. I, I'm just curious, how many of you are morning people? Probably not. This is the later. All the, all the morning people in the first service, right? You're like, no, 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 no. Who in here, you're like, not, not before 7 a.m., not me. Like, never me. Yep, so, so feel, feel some of that. So maybe you're not a morning person. And, and, and number one, I, I would challenge you to at least try starting your, your day because I do believe there's something about committing your day to the Lord before you, you dive in everything. But maybe that just doesn't work for you, and, and that's okay. But what you need to do is you need to find the time of the day where you can give your best undistracted focus and, and attention and energy to the Lord. When can you do that? When can you do that? The second question is, where are you going to do that? 
Where can you actually get away? Where can you disconnect from? And, and where can you go to so that you're not constantly being bombarded by the needs of others? And listen, this is one of the reasons why I do prefer early in the morning, because what I've learned over the last 15, 16 years is that nobody needs me between 4.30 and 6 a.m. Like nobody does. I'm not a night person at all. I prefer, and, and listen, probably nobody needs you between like 10 and 11.30 at night if you're, if you're more of a night out. But find the time of the day where, where you're most likely to not be distracted, where you can give your best focused energy and attention, and then have a place that you go to, have a place that you know you can escape from. And, and listen, hear my heart on this this morning. I, I, we get it. Like Emily and I, we have little kids running around, right? And, and they don't always respect that it's mommy and daddy's quiet time, Amen. Like they don't come running in the living room like, oh, mom's praying. I, I won't ask her for a snack for the 10th time right now. It's still coming. Like, so, so we know some level of distraction is, is probably unavoidable to an extent, but generally speaking, where can you go? How can you disconnect? How can we help each other with this? Husbands and wives, what can you do together this year to make sure that each person in that relationship is getting the time alone with the Lord that they need? And even for single parents in the room, how can we as a church, how do we come around them, community groups, to make sure that they're getting that time around? How can you partner with friends and, and, and give each other kids for, for, for an hour, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it is, so that you can have the time with the Lord that you need? Is it getting up 15 minutes earlier? Is it going to bed 15 minutes later? What are you going to do? What is your time? What is your place? And third, what I want to help you with this morning is, is making a plan. And this is why I'm a firm believer in making a plan. But what I've learned when it comes to reading scripture is that if I don't have a plan that intentionally uh, takes me through the full counsel of God's word, I'm prone to read the parts of the Bible that I like the most at the neglect of others. Let's be honest. How many of us are voluntarily picking up Leviticus and being like, eating that up this morning, right? Probably not. And yet, Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable. And by all scripture, you know what he actually meant? He meant all. But why, why do we need the book of Leviticus? But we, need, we need that to remind us that our God is a holy God. It's impossible to keep his standards, but a sacrifice has been made for us. Why do we need those long diatribes from the prophets that we struggle to understand? Because we need to remember that God is always faithful to send a messenger of the gospel, but he will not withhold his judgment forever. We need every portion of scripture. And so here's what's gonna come. If you're on our email list, this is coming out at noon today. Um, we're recommending four Bible reading plans, uh, not all of them, but you pick one of them, four Bible reading plans for the year ahead. And we decided to do this instead of just giving one kind of blanket Bible reading plan for the whole church this year, because we wanted to try to meet everybody on individual levels. And so if you're the type of person, man, you've read through the Bible every year since you were five years old, praise God for you, that's awesome. You need a challenge. There's a plan in there for you. If you're somebody that's like, man, reading the whole Bible in a year, that feels like a lot. I'd rather slow down and stretch it out. There's going to be a plan for reading it in two years. Um, for, if you've never read the Bible before, never been exposed to it, you're like, I need a lot of help and explanation. There's a great resource uh, from the Bible Project and a reading plan there that we want to commend to you as well. Commit yourself to spending time daily in the Word and daily in prayer. We'll recommend a couple prayer resources that come with that as well. You need to pick a time, you need to pick a place, and you need to make a plan. And so I just ask again this morning, what is it that you're going to have to sacrifice? What are you going to have to sacrifice? You know, I'd be willing to bet across this room that, that, that there are more resolution people besides me who have made some commitments this year. No, this is the year. I'm going to spend more time in the Word. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to, I want to be more committed to worship and, and gathering together with God's people. And praise God for that. 
That those are good ambitions, those are, those are holy ambitions, but if you try to do this in your own strength and your own power, you're going to make it to about February 3rd. And you're going to be right back at the starting point. You have to make some actual changes. And so, so what, what, what changes are you going to make this year so that you're, no longer, you're not just making excuses 364 days from now? What are you willing to sacrifice? What boundaries do you need to put up? Or are you willing to commit to discovering what it is God has put you on this planet to do so that you can focus your time and your energy on the right things? You know, what we learn from the gospel message is that at the cross, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, the veil of the temple was torn in two. And what this represents for us is, is that we no longer have hindered access to the Father. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, what Jesus purchased for you was full relational access and intimacy with the Father. That is what he purchased for us at the cross. And that's what's been made available to us. Guys, we would be crazy not to take him up on that offer. What better work could you commit yourself to in the year ahead than doing whatever it takes to grow in your relationship with Christ in your walk with the Lord? That this is a really bold prayer that you can pray in the year ahead. Lord, whatever you desire for me to have, give it to me regardless of what it means you taking from me. Everything you want for me, I desire. Whatever you have for me, I desire. Give me everything that you desire for me to have, regardless of what you have to take away from me to get it to me. That's a bold prayer. But it's one that the Lord is honored to hear, and he delights to answer. So as we close our time together this morning, uh, you're going to see the words of Psalm 62 up on the screen. And as we start out this new year, I, I just want us to start from this foundation of contentment in the Lord, of souls that are content in the Lord, that are happy in the Lord, that are eager to, to be alone with him, eager to escape with him, eager to grow in our relationship with him, eager to know him more deeply, eager to serve him more faithfully and more fully. And so I hope that the words of Psalm 62 can be a foundation uh, that we uh, launch into from the year ahead. And so, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Psalm 62, 1 and 2. We're going to read these one verse at a time. And as we read each verse, we're just going to pause for a few moments, and we're just going to let it be silent. We're just going to meditate on the Word of God. We're going to reflect on what it has to say for us, and we're going to ask the Lord to work in our hearts that we could pursue greater relationship, deeper relationship with Him in the year ahead. So Psalm 62, I want to read verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence from Him comes my salvation. Will you bow your heads with me and just reflect on these words? And why do we wait for him in silence? This is what verse 2 tells us. He alone is my rock and my salvation. 
my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How will you wait for him in silence in the year ahead so that you can remember he is your salvation, he is your rock, he is your fortress, and because of him you will not be greatly shaken. Let's continue to reflect in silence for a moment. So what I ask you as you continue to reflect in prayer, is it possible that your fear of pursuing moments of solitude with the Lord stems from the fact that you've lost your sense of identity? You've forgotten who you are and whose you are and who you belong to. And today I believe the Lord is calling us to a moment of silence so that we can be reminded through his word that because of Christ, through his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection, you are totally, completely, and irrevocably his. And when we know this truth, we will do everything that we can to be still so that we can know that he's God. So Father, we thank you for the example of your son Jesus who showed us what it means to pursue you that he being the most complete person who has ever walked the face of this earth has modeled for us our need to know you. So Father, will you give us by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, not the desire to just do things out of begrudging submission and obligation, will you give us the, the grace to pursue you in love to seek you, not because we have to, but because we get to. To understand and know the privilege of what it means to be your children who can come unhindered into your presence. Father, we thank you for this precious truth. So as we come to the table this morning for communion to remember your son Jesus, to remember that he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become your righteousness to remember his death. Help us to remember what he made available to us, what he purchased for us, which is access to you. Father, help us, enable us to take full advantage of this blessing, to seek you with our whole hearts and trust that when we do, we will find you. We will find you gracious, we will find you merciful, we will find you faithful. So Father, out of the confidence of who we are in you, give us the, the grace-fueled effort this year to pursue you in prayer, to pursue you in your word, to grow to a depth of relationship with you unlike anything we've ever experienced before. Lord, everything you have that you desire for us to have, we want it. Take from us whatever's necessary in order to receive it. So as we sing, Father, as we pray, as we confess, as we repent, as we come to this table, 
be glorified in the worship of your people. Help us to do it from a genuine heart and in true worship of you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.